Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 10th day of January 2024. This is episode 839 of Bitcoin and Woo Doggy. <laughs> it's all I got to say is Woo Doggy. Yesterday was fun, wasn't it? God, I wish all that shit had happened when I was doing the live show, but it didn't. But we are going to talk about it. We don't have any choices. We'll get into all that I promise we'll we'll get into all of it. I I know that everybody is like, look, man, kind of done with the ETF. Except here's the thing: we're gonna get it, whether we want it or not. And even even if you're one of the people that really hate the idea and think it's going to do real substantial damage to Bitcoin. Not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying if you're that person that hates it tooth and nail, it's still going to affect you. And we should probably talk about what the hell's going on. And we are certainly going to talk about what the hell happened to the SEC's Twitter account yesterday. There's uh, some really interesting timing in these tweets. Now, am I going to put my tinfoil hat on? Yeah, probably. But not before I open up the Circle P for business. That's right, the Circle P. It's it's plebs, just like you, with goods or services or rooms to stay in for vacation or something like that. And if you ain't got the advertising budget, I'll just do it for you. And hopefully, if you do sell some products, goods, services, whatnot, you'll cut me in maybe at 10% in the form of Satoshis, hopefully in the form of streaming this live show, you know, to and streaming me Satoshis while you're streaming it on your podcasting 2.0 app. <clears throat> if you can do that, I might be able to go on. I really, really could use, you know, some, some, some time, talent, and treasure, but especially for right now, the treasure. If you got any laying around and you just want to get rid of it, you know, then, then consider, if you've got a good or service, getting in touch with me. Give me all your information. I'll put you in rotation on the Circle P. And let's, let's see if I can get some, some goods and services sold for you. Do not contact me if your goods and services is like a shitcoin advisory service. I won't even answer that one, okay? Before we do uh, Cabanas Namata, I want to thank Kid Warp for 2,100 Satoshis. I want to thank Anon for 121 Satoshis. Good morning, gentlemen. And now, would you like to go stay at a really some really cool cabins? If, if, if you're planning a trip to Brazil, right? I know, I know, it's far away. This is the problem with the podcast is you can't really be local. You got to be global. And I'm talking about some cabins from Cabanas Namata, and they are cabins for rent in a very special place called Minas Gerais in Brazil. Uh, there's three different huts that, that this gentleman has for rent. The first one is called Cabana Hobbit. And that's actually sort of my favorite one because I'm, well, I'm a Tolkien nerd. Um, and it gets, I mean... It's got 23 reviews on it. It gets a 4.83 star rating. It'll sleep five guests, but it's only one bedroom with four beds and a bath. So as you might imagine, it's completely open, you know, open floor plan. But it's designed like a hobbit house, except it's not built inside of a hillside. It's actually a standalone structure, but it looks like they've taken really good attention to detail to give it that 
It's got a round door. I mean, it's got all the trappings of the architecture of a hobbit hole. And that's going for $141 a night over there on Airbnb. And that's just one of them. What's the other one? That one's called Cabana Namada. And that one is what? That's rated 4.93 stars after 130 reviews. And it's $153 a night. I'm telling you, man, and this one's in this one's kind of deeper, deeper into the woods, and it's gorgeous. So get in touch with Cabana not Cabanas Namata. And you can get that at nostree.me. All right. N-O-S-T-R-E-E dot M-E, nostree.me forward slash Cabanas Namata. That's C-A-B-A-N-A-S. N-A-M-A-T-A. Go rent a room, go rent a cabin, go down to Brazil. If you're listening to me from Brazil and you want to get away from the big city, then check out Cabanas Namada. Now, it's time to begin the news. But we're not going to begin where you think we're going to begin. We're going to begin with Bitcoin mining because Phoenix has acquired Bitcoin mining machines for a hundred and $87 million, that's a hell of a buy. Amaka Nawachaka, I cannot pronounce that name from Cointelegraph, is going to tell us all about it. The Phoenix Group PLC, a cryptocurrency mining and blockchain firm listed in the Abu Dhabi securities market, is injecting $187 million to enhance its standing in the Bitcoin mining sector. Phoenix Computer Equipment, a subsidiary of Phoenix Group, announced in a disclosure on the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange on January the 9th, 2023, that it had concluded through Cypher Capital DMCC an agreement with Bitmain Development PTI Limited to purchase the latest mining machines. According to the disclosure, the acquisition is already complete and all necessary procedures have been finalized. The company stated that the agreement empowers Phoenix to boost its hashing power and advance on its path to becoming a leading force in the global Bitcoin mining sector. In December 2023, United Arab Emirates firm Phoenix Group disclosed a $380 million new purchase of hardware equipment from What's Miner aimed at expanding its portfolio of hydro cooling rigs representing What's Miner's most significant order in two years. Phoenix Group also debuted trading on the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange just last December, y'all, becoming one of the Middle East's first publicly listed industry firms. The company's share price rose to 2.32 UAE dirhams, I cannot pronounce it, which is about 63 cents U.S. According to the company, it now commands a market cap of 14.5 billion AED, which roughly translates to $3.95 billion dollars. As of January the 4th, Phoenix Group successfully closed its initial public offering with an oversubscription of 33 times in November 18th, reporting that its offer of 907,000 shares saw overwhelming demand. Phoenix said retail investors oversubscribed to the offering 180 times while professional investors contributed to a 22-fold oversubscription. Following the What's Minor partnership and IPO, the Bitmain deal further amplifies Phoenix Group's hashing power and the market share. Yes, we all get it. They're mining, but that's not what's important. Well, okay, it's important. But what's really captivating about this situation with Phoenix Group in the United Arab Emirates, okay, this isn't in Wichita, Kansas. It's not in Europe. It's It's not really, you know, it's not in Asia. Right? Where is it? It's in the Middle East. What's important to note is how oversubscribed the initial public offerings actually were. They're talking about oversubscription numbers of 33x. They had 33 times the amount of interest that they thought that they were going to have on their IPO. And then there's this one sentence that says Phoenix said retail investors oversubscribed the offering 188 times. I can, I mean, that's a terrible sentence because it's not too descriptive, but 
I'm going to interpret that as 180x over subscription rate on Phoenix's IPO at the retail sector. And then it says professional investors contributed to a 22-fold over subscription. So I'm guessing that on average, the amount of money coming in from retail that was oversubscribed 180x plus the professional investors at a 22x oversubscription divided or yeah, divided by 2 you take that number and you get what I am assuming here is an oversubscription across the sectors of 33x. That's what's more important than the amount of hash power that's gotten bought is the sheer interest of these companies in the Middle East by retail and institutional grade investors. That's not this is nothing at all to shake a stick at. Right? So with all the stuff that's going on, we got the having coming up. Today is the day of ETF announcement, which we assume is going to be after market hours. So after what, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the United States is when they'll make their announcement. That's what we assume, but we don't know. They could do it earlier. You know, they can't even keep their own Twitter account secure. So who knows what the hell they're going to do. But the assumption and presumption is that we won't know anything about the ETF until later on today, okay? But with all that going on, in the United Arab Emirates, in the Middle East, we've got oversubscription rates this high. Again, do not shake a stick at that. Yegro with 420, dude, thank you. 420 Satoshis, I appreciate Yegro. Good friend of mine. See you over on Noster when we start figuring out what the hell happens with the SEC today. Now, you'd think that I'm going to talk about the SEC, but I'm not. This is a reminder from Matt Odell. I'm going to read his Blue Check Manifesto. Because he wrote it, or at least it got published, in Bitcoin Magazine uh, a couple of days ago. January the 8th to be... Uh, correct here. He says, freedom is not granted. It is taken and defended. Our freedom is being eroded on nearly every front, yet few, very few pushback, blinded by greed and lust. Most with influence in our society shepherd us towards darkness for more power and more money. The incentives are designed by massive corrupt institutions and billion-dollar companies focused on squeezing as much money as possible from billions of digital slaves. Tracked, manipulated, censored, sold. This is our reality. Can you see it? Can you see where this leads? Quote, everything I do is tracked. It is already a lost cause. End quote is a common narrative. Disappointing and frustrating. Millions see the problems, but most have given up hope. How did we end up here? Humans have relied on trust since the dawn of time. We built families. We built communities. We built businesses. We built new technologies. We built governments. Trust is how humans have improved our standing in the world. Trust will always be essential. But at scale, it remains vulnerable. Systems that require trust are easily corrupted. In the modern age, this vulnerability is amplified due to the scale of these systems, controlled by a powerful few whose incentives are at odds with the millions who trust and rely on them blindly. I was once a Twitter power user, my only social media for the past decade. It was not without fault, but it was an incredibly powerful tool. It held the promise of billions being able to communicate freely and build off of each other's thoughts and ideas. Then censorship escalated. Then identity checks began. Refusing to comply effectively shadow banned you. In retrospect, it was inevitable. Trust does not scale. The systems we rely on are too easily corrupted. The massive centralized institutions that govern so much of our lives are broken. What has worked in the past is not sufficient for the future. We can do better. We must do better. Nobody is coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. We have the tools. The tools that empower individuals and minimize trust. Protocols such as Bitcoin and Nostra that are not controlled by any entity enable us to communicate and interact freely and without permission. 
Freedom Tech is our hope, but real change will require millions to stand up and take responsibility for our future. Say no to TikTok, Google, WeChat, PayPal, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, and the countless digital slavery companies that join their ranks. Their incentive is to control you, and they are winning. Build, support, and utilize Freedom Tech tools instead. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? We will not live in a pod. We will not eat the bugs. We will not get the blue check. We will not use CBDCs. Use Freedom Tech Live free or die. Telling you, man, he's not wrong. And here's the, here's the issue with being able to, to tell absolute truth. Have you ever wanted to tell one of your friends something that you really believe in? And yet you check yourself, not because of the content, but because of your passion for it. Have you ever done that? That's a form of self-censorship. When you speak with passion, in a way you're acting. I talked about this on uh, the 24-hour frog talk with uh, uh, Sir Sleepy and Tanel. Um, and I, I kind of want to clarify what it was that I was meaning about that. Because they, they were, I was being passionate because I just, I can't fucking help it. When I talk about this stuff, I'm going to be passionate. I have long ago got rid of my modesty when it comes to speaking in public. And they, they, a couple of them made mention, it's like, you know, wow, man, preach it. I'm captivated or something, you know, but it wasn't what I was talking about. It was, I think what was grabbing them was, the fact that I'm not holding back. I can't hold back anymore. This is sort of like what Odell's saying in this piece about the Blue Check Manifesto. He's not holding back. We are in dark times. If you're talking to your friend and you say something like that and say, dude, we're living in dark times, and just basically go through the, the, go through the Blue Check Manifesto and, and look at their face, look at their body language and their reactions to you. Just say it without any passion whatsoever. Right, talk to them about exactly the same topic with no passion whatsoever and look at their body language. Then become passionate about something and look at that person's body language and their reaction to your passion. You will find a completely different book you are reading. It is a completely different person. Nobody likes somebody who's being passionate directly in their presence. If there's a screen between the two of you, that's different. But live, up close, and personal, if I'm impacting your ears right now, that's sort of live, up close, and personal, even though we're not in the same room. That passion is, is in a way, it's an act. And here's the clarification. Acting is not a lie. You playing the part of a character may be considered a lie, But when we get right down to it, what is acting? Acting is the ability to strip your modesty down to your fucking socks and say what you believe, no matter who's listening or what the reactions to you are. That's the act. And it's not a lie. The lie is the filters that we refuse to take down so that we can actually be ourselves say what we need to say exactly in the way that we need to say them, whether we use flowery language, a fucking Webster's thesaurus and a dictionary or not. It's important. And it's going to be ever more important as this year unfolds to stop with the bullshit and stop worrying about what people think of you when you're passionate about something. So go out there and be passionate. And don't think for a second that acting, generally speaking, is a straight-up lie because it's not. It's your ability to be brave. You do that. You do that. And you'll have more effect than you'll possibly ever know. Probably because you never will know it. But that passion will grow like a seed in the minds of the people that you infect. And then 
even maybe even years after your death, that tree will grow. That's seven generational thinking. What Matt's saying here is that they have done nothing. These people, these institutions, these billionaires, these whatever you want to call them, have done nothing but limit our activity to the tiniest of ideas, the most base of morality and ethics, with no thought to the future and with no thought to our own empowerment. That's how they get you. That's how they keep you in the box. Don't live in the box. Don't live in the pod. Don't eat the bugs. Don't get the blue check and don't you see it CBDCs. Just don't do it and we'll be fine. Now, yes, it's the SEC ETF shit. We're going to start it up right now. Now that I'm warmed up, let's get it going on. United States senators demand an explanation for the SEC's fake Bitcoin ETF approval tweet. Stephen Graves decrypt. Two, count them, one, two United States senators have written to the Securities and Exchange Commission SEC Chair Gary Gensler demanding an explanation for Tuesday's fake tweet from the SEC's Twitter account, which falsely claimed that multiple spot Bitcoin ETFs had been approved. In a letter addressed to Gensler, Senators J.D. Vance from Ohio and Thom Tillis uh, from North Carolina wrote to express concern and request clarity regarding the SEC's social media communications, adding that the incident raises serious concerns over the regulator's cybersecurity procedures. <laughs> the pair also demanded that the SEC explain its plans to investigate the error. As the crypto world waited with bated breath to see if the SEC would approve one or more spot Bitcoin ETFs on Tuesday, the regulator's Twitter account appeared to confirm that multiple ETFs had been given the green light. Minutes later, SEC Chair Gary Gensler took to Twitter to announce that the regulator's account had been compromised and that an unauthorized tweet was posted. He clarified that the SEC has not approved the listing and trading of spot Bitcoin exchange traded products. Vance and Tillis wrote that the fake SEC announcement and subsequent reaction led to extreme volatility in the price of Bitcoin with investors incredibly confused by the regulators' communications regarding the long-awaited and consequential decision. The price of Bitcoin plunged and then it rose. We'll get into that here in a little bit later. Skipping ahead. The senators demand, demanded that the SEC explained just how the fake announcement came to be made whether it was made by an SEC employee or an outside entity, and how the regulator plans to rectify any financial losses borne by investors as a result of the errant announcement. Some of those questions appear to have already been answered by the SEC in Twitter's own preliminary investigations. A Twitter safety post-mortem of the incident stated that the incident was not due to any breach of X's systems, but rather due to an unidentified individual obtaining control over a single phone number associated with the at SEC GOV account through a third party. Twitter's safety team also highlighted the fact that the SEC's account did not have two-factor authentication enabled at the time of the hack, contradicting Chair Gensler's own recommendations against identity theft and fraud. The SEC itself noted that its account had been compromised in a tweet following the incident and reiterated Gensler's statement that the regulator has not approved the listing and trading of any spot Bitcoin ETFs. In a statement to Decrypt, it noted that the person or persons responsible for the unauthorized access had been terminated. I guess they got rid of their social media manager. Quote, the SEC will work with law enforcement and our partners across government to investigate the matter and determine appropriate next steps relating to both the unauthorized access and any related misconduct, a statement from the regulator continued. In their letter, Vance and Tillis asked that if the tweet were found to be the result of a cybersecurity attack, the SEC provide Congress with a report on the breach within four, count them, one, two, three, four business days. The SEC's social media blunder comes at a time of heightened anticipation among the crypto fraternity with a possible window for the simultaneous approval of multiple spot Bitcoin ETFs closing Wednesday. 
Okay. What Decrypt did not say is anything about the actual timeline. And if you'll give me a few minutes here, I want to pull something up. Now, the guys listening to me on just a podcast app won't be able to see the following, but uh, uh, the guys over here in zap.stream, you're you're going to find out what's going on here. Now, I need to change this over to the day. And I need to come over here, and I need to get to this day, and I need to change it over to... I'm, I, general, oh, good Lord. Generally speaking, I do not use the one-minute chart because it's just dumb, right? There's just no reason in the world to... And I don't trade, but I do use TradingView quite a bit to look at charts just to see what the hell's going on. And in this particular case, what, you're, what the people over in Zap.Stream is looking at are I've mapped each individual tweet, the first one from the SEC that was a false tweet, Gensler's tweet refuting that, saying that something got compromised, and then the second tweet from the SEC that said that they were compromised. And holy crap, the SEC tweets that Bitcoin ETFs are all approved at 3.11 p.m. On my on my chart, it was at one eleven p.m., but it doesn't matter. We're we're all going with three eleven. Is the new nine eleven right? Three eleven. The SEC tweets from like, the hacker or, or whatever. The the snafu happens at three eleven. It took one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. 15 minutes for Gensler to find his phone and tweet from his own account that this shit is a bogus tweet from the SEC, that the SEC got compromised. 15 minutes. 15 minutes in legacy markets is enough to crash markets. It's enough to kill Bear Stearns. In the crypto markets, in Bitcoin, 15 minutes is a fucking eternity. Took him 15 minutes to discover what the hell had happened. And sure, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, I mean, <clears throat> how long do you want, how, how fast do you want these people to react? Pretty damn fast. You're talking about a government institution, a full regulatory body that's putting announcements out on Twitter with no 2FA, nothing. It's just bad all the way around. But 15 minutes from me is one thing. I screw up and I get my shit hacked. I might not know for a day, but guess what? I'm not regulating trillions of dollars of worldwide debt and financial instruments, am I? No, I am not. So therefore, when somebody says, I'll give them a break, no, I'm not giving them a break. It took them 15 full minutes to figure out what the hell was going on. And in that time, in that time, the price rose from 46737 all the way up to, oh, good Lord, what is it? It ended up being something like 47898 and then came crashing down until Gensler made his tweet and got all the way to the bottom of 44918. It took another 15 minutes for the SEC own the SEC's own Twitter account to actually come out with a tweet saying that the first tweet was bad and that their account was compromised without Gensler in the middle of that in the middle of that span it took them 31 minutes to react at the SEC a half hour one of the most anticipated days not in it Anticipated by what? The crypto fraternity, as this Cointelegraph article says? No, it ain't the crypto fraternity. There wouldn't be 13 applications of for spot Bitcoin ETFs if it was just the Bitcoin fraternity. This is a worldwide phenomenon. This is completely inexcusable. The other side of this, the the last stick that I or the last hit that I'll take with the dead horse on this with the stick is this one. Nobody should have believed that shit in the first place. Why? Just regular retail should not have believed it at all. Why? Because it's not, it happened yesterday. 
This is not a college class. When a regulatory body has a says that they have a deadline, everything about whatever announcement they're going to make is wrapped around the deadline. They're not going to get in trouble if they miss a deadline. You miss a paper in, in college, you get 10 points taken off, or you're a college student and you want to show your teacher that you're doing, you're being diligent and you turn it in early. That shit doesn't happen. There was no way the SEC was going to tell anybody anything about what the fuck was going to happen until today. We don't know if it's going to be aftermarket. We don't know if it's going to be right at, as the closing bell rings. And we don't know if it's going to happen 30 minutes from now. I don't even know if it's actually already happened. Today is the day, though. It could happen anytime today. But it's the 10th. Wasn't the 9th. And that's what that's the bullshit that we have to watch out for. It's those small nuances. When they say when the government says deadline, that means that that's when the damn thing is going to be released. It is going to be rare that they do anything early. If they're going to do anything not on the deadline, expect them to be late, if anything. But they're certainly not going to be early. They've got press releases to do. They've got interviews to give. They've got all kinds of shit wrapped around the deadline. They're not going to release that news early. Nobody should have believed this. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But going forward into the future, if it's not on the deadline, and it has something to do with the United States federal government regulatory body, then it's not happening. Okay? It's a, it's a fake tweet. Unless that body comes out and confirms, yes, we really did this early. But until you get that confirmation, don't believe it. And even the confirmation, you might not want to believe that either because it could be a confirmation within 30 seconds, right? You wait an hour, you know, sort of like, like blocks on the blockchain. Wait, it's okay. You're not going to die. Okay, enough of that. But we're not really done with the SEC, are we? <clears throat> The Bitcoin ETF has what's known as authorized participants. And some people know that JP Morgan is already an authorized participant, but there are others. And here is the full list of authorized participants written by Ryan Ozawa out of Decrypt. The spot ETF tea leaves have been read so aggressively that they've been pulverized into dust. Nonetheless, There's a high level of confidence across the market that the much-anticipated new investment vehicle will be approved by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission any moment now, today even. Oh, good Lord. But the names at the top of the applications are financial heavyweights, BlackRock, Fidelity, Grayscale, etc., etc. Each must also designate what's known as an authorized participant. An authorized participant in an exchange-traded fund is defined as an organization that works to create and redeem shares of that fund so that the investor can cash out. Basically, an entity with substantial buying power to secure and sell the underlying asset, Bitcoin, at at will, ensuring the fund has sufficient liquidity. Pausing to say, think of it like this. There's drug dealers and there's drug dealers. When I'm the kingpin... And I've got all the cocaine in Colombia, and I fly a shit ton of it over to Orlando, Florida. I've got 10 dealers. Those are my authorized participants. They're the cats that sell that shit to institutional investors and retail and all that stuff. I'm not the one that's doing it. However, I am definitely going to reap the benefits of my 10 authorized participants doing it for me. Now, continuing... While the SEC has granted leeway to provide or to providers of ETFs based on more traditional assets, the last minute updates to the Bitcoin spot ETF application suggests that the federal regulator is specifically concerned about the entities that will help Bitcoin ETF investors convert their gains into other assets. Dipshits. So. So important is the authorized participant in these applications that the blank space left by Grayscale in a recent filing has industry watchers scratching their heads because they didn't list one. 
In an updated filing on Friday, Grayscale subsequently clarified that it would be working with Jane Street Capital, Macquarie Capital, Virtue Americas, and ABN AMRO Clearing USA. As Decrypt previously explained, the authorized participant change appears to be another attempt by the SEC to explicitly spell out who can be involved in the creation and redemption of Bitcoin ETF shares, and by extension, who can directly handle BTC. So, the U.S. Bitcoin ETF race has unsurprisingly many layers. Who are the authorized providers or participants? Following these financial giants into the breach, here's the list. There's more than a dozen applications pending with the SEC. And each application could designate any number of authorized participants. The application from Latin America contender Hashdesks lists no fewer than 15 authorized participants. Thus, the list of entities expected to provide much of the liquidity in the Bitcoin ETF market is very, very long. Jane Street and J.P. Morgan were among the first to be named in the latest and potential uh, and potentially of application updates. I think that's a blown sentence. Some of these partners are more popular than others. Jane Street has signed agreements with all applicants. So iShares Trust, the iShares Bitcoin Trust, this is the BlackRock spot Bitcoin ETF. Jane Street Capital, JPM Morgan Securities, Macquarie Capital, and Virtue Americas have all been named as authorized participants for BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF. Van Eck Bitcoin Trust, Jane Street Capital, Virtue Americas LLC, and ABN AMRO Clearing have all signed agreements. Franklin Bitcoin ETF, Jane Street Capital, and Virtue Americas are their APs. Fidelity Wise Origin Bitcoin Trust, Jane Street Capital, J.P. Morgan Securities, Macquarie Capital, and Virtue Americas, LLC. Valkyrie Bitcoin Fund, Jane Street Capital, Cantor Fitzgerald and Company have signed on as authorized participants. Wisdom Tree Bitcoin Fund, Jane Street Capital, Macquarie Capital, and Virtue Americas. Invesco Galaxy Bitcoin Fund, J.P. Morgan Securities, Virtue Americas, Jane Street Capital, and Marex Capital Markets are APs. Bitwise Bitcoin ETF, Jane Street Capital, Macquarie Capital, Virtue Americas. Grayscale, Jane Street Capital, Virtue Americas, Macquarie Capital, and ABN AMRO Clearing. ARC21 Shares Bitcoin ETF, that is Kathy Wood's outfit out there in Wyoming. Jane Street Capital, Macquarie Capital, and Virtue Americas. So, who's missing? Goldman Sachs has yet to appear on any of the updated filings despite rumors last week that it had been in talks to become an AP for some of the potential issuers. If it did take on that role, Goldman would join the firms above in being able to create and redeem shares of Bitcoin ETFs that get approved for trading. So, there you go. Don't trade this shit. Don't buy the ETF. Most of y'all can't anyway. But, I don't know, man. I was about to say, go to your eight, you know, if you're working at an institution, go to HR and say, when are you guys going to allow my retirement fund to have, I don't know, the Van Eck, you know, Bitcoin ETF in it. But I'm not sure if that's actually a good idea. So I'll leave that decision up to you as to whether or not you want to pull that shit off or not. Now, let's see, where are we at? Um, I'm going to take that and I'm going to move it over here. And now it's time to run the numbers. It's time for the numbers, but first, a word from our sponsor, which is not really a sponsor, podcastapps.com. That's podcastapps.com. If you've heard me moaning on or going on about value for value and streaming Satoshis and you're like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, it's probably because you're not aware of podcastapps.com. That's podcastapps.com. If you want a brand new shiny podcast app that will play all of your favorite podcasts, whether they're value for value enabled or not, all you got to do is search for them. 
How can this work, you say? Well, it's because everybody is using Adam Curry's podcast index.org as their database for all the RSS feeds from all the podcasts in the world. And that's where Apple gets their podcast from. It actually is coming from Adam Curry because Adam Curry and his crew set up a database. Well, they're also the ones that introduced value for value. That means that I don't have subscriptions to this podcast. And I also don't have any sponsors for the podcast. I depend on the people that are listening to me to help me fund this damn thing, right? If I'm bringing you any value, then figure out what that value is to you. And you can send it to me in the form of Bitcoin via Satoshi's over the Lightning Network. But the only way that you can really do that is with a new podcast app.com or with a new podcasting app. And you can find that on podcasts, sorry, podcast app.com. And you'll have a list of value for value enabled podcast applications that you can use on Android, iPhone. I think there's some that are just for desk, desktop. I don't know, but definitely mobile. That's all represented right there. It comes with a wallet. And you can put Satoshis into your wallet. Some come preloaded with a thousand Satoshis. You search in Bitcoin and dot, 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 and you'll find my podcast, the Bitcoin and podcast, and you can listen to it and set it to stream me one Satoshi per minute as you listen. Set it and forget it. And you'll be funding me and I've got splits. So for every Satoshi that I get, part of that fundage automatically goes to Fountain.app, which makes my favorite podcast app, the Fountain app. And it also goes to Podcast Index so that they can continue to do what they do. We're all building a circular economy. And one of the one of the cornerstones of the Bitcoin circular economy is value for value content creation and consumption. Go to podcastapps.com. That's podcastapps.com. And support, start supporting the Bitcoin and podcast today. Now, CNBC.com. Futures and commodities. Yes, energy's taking it on the chin again. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, down one and a third, 71.29 a barrel. Brent North Sea, down 1.2, 76.65 a barrel. Natural gas, re- reversing all of its shit yesterday, 6.11% to the downside almost a hair under $3 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is down almost a half to $2.06 a gallon. So it made gains yesterday. All the energy sector made some serious gains yesterday and they all got erased. Why did they make gains yesterday? Because reports came out that the United States oil stocks were plummeting and then everything reversed this morning. Why? Because a report came out that said oil, U.S. oil stocks have unexpectedly risen. You smell a rat? Do you smell a rat yet? Nobody knows what the hell's going on. Nobody knows how much oil the United States or the rest of the world actually has above ground, ready to be refined or burned or whatever at any given time. It's all fake. Don't believe any of these people. Gold is down a quarter of a point. Silver down 0.07. Platinum is down 0.77%. Copper is up 076 Palladium up just over two full points. Most of ag is in the red. Biggest loser today is going to be sugar. 1.38, no, scratch, coffee. 1.58% to the downside. Biggest winner is lumber, up one and a quarter. Live cattle down scant. Lean hogs up a quarter. Feeder cattle up a half. The Dow is up eh, 0.13%. S&P up a third. NASDAQ is up a half in the S&P mini, barely hanging on to a slight gain. Uh, We've got a price of 46,165 US dollars over here on BitInfo charts. My little gnome, uh, I've got a, I've got, for Christmas, my wife bought me a M5 stack that was preloaded with uh, Bitcoin charts. All I had to do was connect it to power and my Wi-Fi and my chart is showing 46,546 bucks. So there is some serious premiums and distractions going on worldwide in the Bitcoin markets. Uh, We've got a average transaction value of, wow, one Bitcoin. 
Holy crap, I haven't seen that in a while. Median transaction values are $71.25. Block times are getting nominal. Eight minutes and, wait, no, 10 minutes, eight seconds. Uh, 0.6 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 83 taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. And with a 5.29% increase in hash rate, we're looking at 517.59 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, which is Doge, is actually down 7.9 United States pennies. So that should tell you what the rest of the shitcoin market is doing. Wow, market capitalization is, get this, 9-11. 3-11 is the new 9-11. And $911.6 billion is the market cap of Bitcoin at this hour. That is 6.67% of gold's market cap. You can get uh, capture 23.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin. Uh, there is, what, 5,020 BTC locked in the Lightning Network, now valued at well over $200 million. That's $233 million. 14,650 nodes, 59,914 payment channels, and 77.5% of all of the Lightning Network is being run over Tor, or at least as much as we can possibly see. Oh, I want to put this over here. Hold on here. Mempool. Uh, As you might imagine, we're looking at 550 blocks carrying 269,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear mempools around the world at high priority prices of 120 Satoshis per V-byte. It's about $8 for a standard transaction. Low priorities are going for 65. That's about half. Four and a quarter dollars will get you in. Anything under 24.2 Satoshis per V-byte getting kicked out mempools from around the world. Mempool.space is showing the hash rate at 498.9 exahashes per second. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. Now, on to the boostograms. Again, value for value. If you want to send me a note, do it through your brand new shiny podcasting 2.0 application. Yeah, because then you'll be able to join God's death, who tells me with 1,370 sats, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Nick Dose with 1369 says, cheers. Henry GQJ with 1000 says, thank you, sir. Lots of fun around at the moment, which coincidentally is the exact same sound I made when I fell off a ladder today. Yay for pain. Pies finishes us off with 100 sats says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. I forgot to mention one important factor about the whole SEC Twitter debacle. It seems that some joker, who's actually written something very, very funny in a very, very funny way, uh, had an opportunity to strike, and and he or she did. Um, There is a transaction that uh, looks to be confirmed. It looks to be confirmed um, in, I'm looking at mempool.space, and it has an op return. And that's where you can write a little message inside of a Bitcoin transaction. And this op return, as you might imagine, says 09 slash 01 slash 24. SEC chairman on the brink of second ETF approval. You cannot match the humor of this crew. I mean, that's funny. And it cost them to do that, by the way. It cost them, let's see, how much did, let's see if I can figure out how much it cost. Uh, Let's see, where is somewhere up here? Oh, $2.97. That's what it cost them. It cost them 6,480 Satoshis at a fee rate of 36.2 Satoshis per V-byte just to do that. Just to put that op return in there, which is now forever in the blockchain. It's amazing. <laughs> I love all of you people. Um, okay. We're, we are no longer on the SEC shit. That was it. That was the last you'll hear from it today. U.S. officials say artificial intelligence could facilitate what? Guess. Hacking. Scamming and money laundering. Okay, it works for money. Let's do the same thing for AI. Savannah Fortis tells us more. Cointelegraph. 
law enforcement and intelligence officials in the United States warned about artificial intelligence advancements leading to the facilitation of cybercrime, such as hacking, scamming, and money laundering, according to a report from Reuters. Hey, where's the child sex trafficking? You forgot. You could have thrown that in there and it would have been sewn up tighter than the drum. At the International Conference on Cybersecurity at Fordham University in Manhattan on January the 9th, Rob Joyce, Director of Cybersecurity at the National Security Agency, said that AI helps reduce the tech savviness needed to pull off such crimes. Quote, is going to make those that use AI more effective and more dangerous. End quote. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pausing because I'm going to read that sentence again. It's going to make those that use AI more effective and more dangerous. Do you use AI, Yegro? Hey, the grinder who's over here in Zap.Stream, uh, Zap. who also gave me 2.1 thousand Satoshis because he's able to boost me over here in Zap.Stream, which is Nostra-based and I won't get into it. Um, do you use AI? Kid Warp, do you? Do you use AI? Because you're now more effective and more dangerous according to Rob Joyce, Director of Cybersecurity at the NSA. Lit that, are you letting that shit sink in? You're an enemy of the fucking state if you use AI. Let me just go ahead and throw it right out there. You're an enemy of the United States as a state. A sta- as a state actor, you're an enemy of the state because you're now more effective and more dangerous because you use AI. However, Joyce also pointed out that AI can be a great tool to help the United States authorities more efficiently hunt down such illegal activity. Oh, oh, oh. So when they use it, they're not more dangerous. They're just more effective. But when when Yegro uses it, he's a scumbag child trafficking money launderer. Do you see how they're doing the same shit? All over again. Also speaking at the conference was James Smith, the assistant director of the FBI's New York field office, who said that the FBI had already witnessed an uptick in cyber breaches due to AI lowering the technicality threshold. United States Brooklyn attorney Breon Peace was another speaker who highlighted the rapid emergence of AI generated deep fakes that could trick systems that typically prevent cyber crimes. That, in turn, could allow criminals and terrorists to open accounts at scale, undermining the system of controls that we have developed for decades. That's what Brayon Peace said. Welcome to Twitter for the last five years. Just saying. Jimmy Sue, chief security officer of Binance, spoke to Cointelegraph in an interview last year expressing this exact sentiment, that AI deep fakes are getting better at spoofing know-your-customer controls. The what? He said, AI will overcome them over time. So it's not something that we can always rely on. Oh, they want, they're using this as an excuse to get a completely, they're going to want blood. They're going to want blood. Your ATM machine will have like a little diabetes meter on it. And you'll, to be able, you'll have a pin code, you'll throw in your card, you'll put in a pin code, and then it will say, please stab the end of your index finger on the provided blood strip. And you'll poke your finger into that thing and it will take your blood and it will match your DNA to a DNA database because they're going to require it. Why? Because AI is just too rampant. And Kid Warp using it makes him so much more dangerous. Oh my my God, we're all criminals. That's how they look at us. We're all criminals. Unless you work for the Department of Justice, you are a criminal. That's how they look at us. That's how they look at us. Data from some sub revealed that there had been a 10x increase in deepfakes across all industries. Last year, many major public figures, including actor Tom Hanks and the popular YouTuber Mr. Beast, had to denounce unauthorized deepfakes of themselves made to sell a product. Who gives a shit about Tom Hanks? 
and Mr. Beast, I, it's not that I don't care about them because I think they suck. They may. I don't know. I enjoyed Tom Hanks acting, but I, I've heard stories. I don't, it doesn't matter because it's not me. It's Yegro. It's the grinder. It's all the people listening to my voice. If any of you have ever used AI and you are not a Department of Justice employee, well, then you're a child sex trafficking money launderer, probably a drug dealer, and you probably watch porn too, don't you? This goes nowhere but bad. I Farms, family farms out in the middle of nowhere is one of the answers that I have to get away from this clown show. Will I ever be able to afford it? I don't know. I mean, some people have done so well that, you know, they they end up buying shit that really doesn't matter. If you have the money and you want to buy something that matters, buy a piece of property outside of towns, right? Even the smaller towns, try to get outside of those. If you live in a big city and you have any thought at all and any money that might actually affect the move, then get out. Please get out. These people are all psychotic. And all we really have to do is give them two things. One, enough rope. Two, enough time to tie the knot. That's it. This shit's so crazy, all we got to do is wait them out. And the best way to do that is to wait them out out of town. I'm just saying, man, these people are psychotic. Get away from them. Now, good news from nobsbitcoin.com. Bitcoin Victoria Falls, a new Bitcoin circular economy is born in Livingstone, Zambia. That's on the continent of Africa. At least I hope I'm right. I'm pretty sure I'm right. (laughs) I know I'm right, but it's one of those things where it's like the minute it comes out of your mouth, you're like, Jesus Christ, I hope that's right. Bitcoin Victoria Falls launched today as the first Bitcoin circular economy in Zambia. The initiative aims to drive financial empowerment, Bitcoin education, Bitcoin tourism, and economic opportunity, announced the project on Twitter. Our project team, at Bitcoin underscore diary, and I can't pronounce it, it's way too many letters and numbers, will teach the My First Bitcoin curriculum, as well as onboarding merchants, tour operators, and other small businesses to accept Bitcoin payments. The initiative was received has received report from, oh my God, Anita Posh, uh, BFFBTC, Bitcoin Zambia, My First Bitcoin, Jay Denny, uh, Bitcoin Ikazi, Bitcoin Beach, Roman Martinez, and many, many more. Bitcoin has the potential to boost financial inclusion and economic opportunity in Zambia. We invite tourists and Bitcoiners to visit Livingstone, spend Bitcoin, and be part of this historic initiative. You can support this new initiative by visiting its campaign on Geyser, The project's budget can be found here. And of course, they give links to both the Geyser page as well as the link to the budget. What is that anyway? Yeah, it's going to be a Google Docs. So they're they're providing a full spreadsheet of their budget. Take it with a grain of salt. I'm sure these people are all above board, but I've learned to just not believe anything until I see the same damn thing from three different people four different times. I just, I can't do the trust out of the bag shit anymore. But this whole El Salvador thing that started, basically it started with Bitcoin Beach, right? And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, they get into the mind of the president of El Salvador and then all of a sudden the whole country goes Bitcoin. At least they don't make it illegal and they make it legal tender so you can use it. As to whether how many, however many people are using it versus the United States dollar, Anybody's guess. You'd have to actually go be boots on the ground. If you if you do that, let me know what you see and I'll report about it. But now it's spilling over into like now there's some stuff going on in Costa Rica with, with Bitcoin circular economies. These tiny Bitcoin circles are like bubbles. When they start growing and growing and there's more and more of these little Bitcoin bubbles and they start to grow and they start to grow, eventually what happens their boundary layers start to intersect with each other 
And then all of a sudden, the boundary layer between them dissolves, just like bubbles in a bubble bath. If you want to know the way the Bitcoin circular economy is going to happen in the world, go pour a bubble bath and just look at the bubbles. Watch what they do on the surface of the water. Then you will have a very clear indication of the most likely procedure that this is going to happen. Why? Because bubbles are part of nature and the ideas of men and women are also part of nature. Bitcoin is an idea born from humanity. Bubbles and humanity is is governed over by the laws of the universe and bubbles are too. You can look at it as a giant fractal if you want. But if you want to know how this shit's going to work, it's going to work like a bubble bath. I know that sounds cheap and, and, and kind of crass, but honestly, that's the best analogy I can give you right now. Now, Nigeria, Nigeria's central bank has softened its stance and it permits bank accounts for Bitcoin companies. Now, I probably have already done this before, but at the end of the show, I just wanted to make sure that I reiterated that Nigeria's central bank made Bitcoin illegal, told everybody in Nigeria, you can't do shit with it. We will punish you severely. We'll beat you about the head and shoulders if you even look at Bitcoin. Well, now they're permitting bank accounts for Bitcoin companies. They're going to have to because Zambia is already cranking up their Bitcoin circular economy. So we've got a bubble bath over there in Central America and South America starting to form. Now we've got one in on the continent of Africa. The bubbles at one point or another will get so big on either one of those continents that they will literally touch boundaries to South and Central America somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and boom, Bitcoin shipping lanes. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, I normally end the show with a joke, but there is something that I wanted to show you that really is completely different than anything that I've talked about earlier today. This is a Noster note from uh, Novak, NVK. He's the guy behind CoinKite, Coldcard, and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's got an interesting note here that says, we take pull request for new entries to the Bitcoin historical calendar. Please help. Just click on and contribute. Okay, what's he talking about? The, 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 what am I trying to say? The URL is bitcoin.holiday. Now I've thrown the calendar up to, for the guys in the chat. God, last das zapped me 4,200 Satoshis. Book it with 420. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Um, I didn't see them before because zap.stream has a tendency to freeze on me and I have to F5 it. And I lost a lot of y'all's chat. I will go through it here in a second, but I want to talk about this thing from Novak. It is a calendar and you can submit a pull request for things that you know about like certain events in Bitcoin's history that happened on a particular day. You can give them a pull request and see if you can get what you think is important about Bitcoin's history into the Bitcoin holiday calendar. And that is Bitcoin.holiday. That's Bitcoin.holiday. And so, for instance, I'm looking at the month of January. It looks just like a calendar, man. It's got like any calendar that you've ever seen. And on January the 3rd, which is a was a Wednesday, <clears throat> we had two things happen. Clearly, Bitcoin's birthday, January 3rd. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. The whole shebang. But it was also proof of keys day, which we really didn't get all about this year for some reason. Usually we always do run-ups to Bitcoin's Jan 3rd stuff with proof of keys. It's coming, man. You got to make sure you get all of your Bitcoin off of exchanges. Maybe it's because most of the Bitcoin was already off of exchanges, but it's here. Now, if I click on it, there's a button that says view events. And lo and behold, a little sidebar comes up and it shows me further information about these two things. On January the 8th, which was a Monday, was Lightning Payday. 
Oh, let's see what happened here. We'll view the event. Lightning Payday, January the 8th, 2018. On this day in 2018, the first real purchase over the Lightning Network was sent for a TorGuard VPN subscription. Interesting. Genesis Day was January the 11th. This is the Genesis Transaction Day. On this day in 2009, the very first transaction ever broadcast over the Bitcoin network was sent by Satoshi Nakamoto to Hal Finney, who on January the 10th put out his famous tweet, Running Bitcoin. So now we have some context. On January the 10th, 2009, Hal Finn tweets, Running Bitcoin. Very famous tweet. The very next day was the very first Bitcoin transaction. See how context works? I love this. I love this calendar. Uh, the 14th was Lightning White Paper Day. The 19th of January in 2019 is uh, Lightning Network Torch. Is, uh, were you guys around for the torch? I was around for the torch. I never got to carry the torch, but I was around for the torch. I was reporting on it. I was still, like every day. I would tell you who was holding the torch because I was still, I was doing a podcast, this podcast in 2019, and I was doing it every morning. The 27th day of January 2011 is Silk Road Day. That's, yeah, Silk Road. This is the day that the Silk Road marketplace went online, a proof of concept for Bitcoin's independence, censorship resistance, and pseudonymity. The Silk Road was an online black market and the first modern dark net market. Why was it modern? Because it only, well, it accepted some other things, but basically it mainly accepted Bitcoin. That's what made it modern. And of course, we all know what happened with the Silk Road. And we've got a guy cooling his heels for two life sentences plus 40 years because he built a website. I'm glad that AI wasn't around when Ross Ulbricht was still free because if he had been using AI in conjunction with Silk Road, he would have probably gotten 10 life sentences, a firing squad, a crucifixion, being burned at the fucking stake all at the same time because he was a pedophile, money laundering, child pornography trafficking scumbag because he was using AI. So as I leave you today, please understand that the new narrative, the new narrative from the United States authorities is that if you use AI, you're a criminal because you're effective and you're dangerous. My personal hope is that you become even more effective and even more dangerous. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.